Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Seth Joyner Show. Um, today is, let's talk about it, Tuesday. Uh, there'll be no guests. It'll just be you and I. Um, so we will basically come in and talk about, um, you know, what transpired in yesterday's game. Um, I'll be taking your questions live. Um, I also... Um, have quite a few of you guys that come on and actually, um, you know, talk, give me your questions live on air with me as we begin to, um, as the show progresses. Um, a lot to talk about, a lot to get to, and I'm sure you guys got a lot of questions. Um, let's, I guess, deal with the, you know, the 900 pound gorilla in the room, the Eagles fall to the Washington Redskins on Sunday, 27 to 17. And um, there's a lot of blame to go around for this game. Um, you know, you can talk about what happened as far as injuries, not having, you know, the full complement of offensive linemen available to um, Carson Wentz's performance, to Doug, Pete, Doug Peterson's performance as a play caller, um, the list just goes on and on and on. You know, I, I guess the only good thing that transpired um, last week was the first half of that game leading up to the last minute and 37 seconds of the first half. And then obviously the um, Dallas Cowboys losing to the Rams on Sunday night. But um, how crazy is it? The Washington football team, is in first place in the NFC East as we speak, as the only team that walked away with a win on opening Sunday. Um, you know, I guess the biggest question and the biggest thing that everyone is going to want to know, um, you know, Billy Covington is already asking, what do you think about Carson Wentz? Um, I think Carson's in a very delicate place right now. Um, because I, I hear a lot of people want to put the blame on him. Uh, I'm more of the opinion that, you know, he's got to have the complimentary pieces around him in order to be successful. But at the other end of the spectrum, as a guy going into, you know, his fifth year as a starting quarterback for this football team, um, as a guy who has been signed as the franchise player on this football team, um, you know, he's got to play better. And you know what? He says, it. you know, hey, I got to do better. But I would caution everyone, you know, when it comes to Carson and, and his reaction after the game, I got to do better. I got to be better. I got to throw the ball away. You know, we've been having these conversations with regards to Carson um, for the last three or four years. Um, the, one of the major issues that I have is player accountability, because at some point in time, you know, as a player, you know, you've got to make the adjustments. You've got to make the change. Um I think that players sometimes, you know, it's, it's a good thing when you see a player step up to the forefront and say, hey, you know, it's my bad. It's my fault. You know, I got to make these changes. But at the same time, these same questions have been um, plaguing this young quarterback for quite some time. And his response has been the same. So, you know, when you hear Doug Peterson say, you know, hey, I got extreme confidence, you know, in my young quarterback, that's all fine and well. But. Um, when you see a young player continue to make the same mistakes over and over again without there being um, any change to how he approaches the game, 
to me, that's problematic. Now, I'm not going to lay all the blame solely on Carson Wentz. Um, a lot of this has to go on um, Doug Peterson. Um, and I see Adam Rush posted, you know, the biggest question, the biggest issue is the offensive line. Well, you know what? When you're a franchise pet player and you put up 17 points, you know, in the first quarter and, you know, first half of the football game um, and your defense is playing lights out, you know, where where are the excuses? You know, you, you can't keep making excuses for Carson Wentz. Um, he has to bear the brunt of this, this, this you know, th this loss solely because, you know, eight sacks. You know, granted, he didn't have his full complement of offensive linemen. But what what excuse can you make for how they played through the first half, you know, leading up to the last 137 of the first half and how badly he played in the second half? Um, it, there's just no excuse for that because, you know, Washington had the same players. We had the same players on the field. We had some players that go in and out. Um, but at the same time, same time, Carson has, has just not learned how to say when. No, he doesn't know when to say when on plays that 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 may go bad. And you know what? The other team gets paid to play. They're elite athletes. There's only 1,696 players in the entire NFL. This active on game day, um, he's got to be able to make the adjustment and know when to what no to, to 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 say when on a play. Not every play you know, is going to work because the other team, they got great players, the other team got great coaches, and they're going to make adjustments. Um, the way the defense is playing, sometimes, you know, when your defense is playing the way that it's playing, you, you just, the best thing that you can do is throw the ball away, punt the ball, and let the defense do what it does, and then you play the field position game. Um, I'll get back to Carson Wentz, and I'll get to some of you guys' questions as we go along here. Let's shift the focus over to Doug Peterson and the game that he called. He seemed like he had everything um, rolling in the first half of that football game. Um, Goddard and Ertz um, were playing some good football. D. Jacks had a big catch early on in the game. The young guys were making plays here and there. Um, and then it just seems to me that, you know, he got stuck passing the ball, passing the ball, passing the ball. Now, if you've got two rookies that starting on the right side of your offensive line, okay, and you get to a place where you throwing the ball is not really working, at what point in time do you try to slow down the defense by running the football and trying to gain some yards? And I know, I know everyone wants to say, hey, you know, the offensive line, they couldn't block. They couldn't open any holes. But I would submit to you in the first half, we ran the ball nine times, nine call um, run plays, and they were scattered throughout the entire first half. It's not like, you know, they knew, you know, that, hey, this is this is the process and this is what we're going to do. They tried to run the ball nine times in the first half, and they put the ball in the air over 20 times in the first half. Now, you cannot live by that two-to-one ratio because what defenses do as a former defensive player, I began to realize that, you know what, hey, they really don't want to run the ball. The run is just a key breaker in order for um, to keep us off balance. So let's just go get the quarterback. Let's just play the run on the way to the quarterback. And that's exactly what happened 
with two rookies starting on the right side of the offensive line and one of the preeminent pass rushing fronts in the NFL healthy and ready to go week one. I think a lot of problems that Carson had, he had because of Doug. Because if you look at the play calling in the first half, even though he threw the ball a lot, you know, they were they put the pressure on the linebackers, they put the pressure on the safeties and coverage to the tight ends, and it worked. Now, I, I have to assume that in the second half, adjustments were made, and that's the issue. You know, great football teams make adjustments as the game proceeds, and you've got to change what you do based upon what the defense is now showing you. It seems to me when they started to push, try to push the ball outside because maybe they were taking away the inside of the field, you got into a situation where that's where Carson really began to get in trouble. Um, the play calling. I go back to the run, and I know for the last three or four years, many of you guys have heard me talk about this, you know, and, and sometimes it's like beating a dead horse. But when you can run the ball effectively or you're just trying to run the football, you take the pressure off of your offensive lineman. You take the pressure off of your quarterback. You know, they want to be a play-action team, but you cannot run play-action and throw the ball if you don't establish – the running game first, or at least you don't try to, to, to do it first. Um, and it seems to me this is something that they're trying to do without coordination. I said last week, I love to hear Doug Peterson's post-game remarks because there's so many little nuggets that are in there that to the trained ear, you know exactly what to listen for. Um, he made the comment, in the, excuse me, in the post-game interview that, you know what, hey, I just call the best plays that I feel we have an opportunity and a chance to execute. Well, um, and, and he made the statement that I really, I don't know whether, you know, it's run or pass. I don't know, you know, what that looks like, you know, what the balance looks like. Well, you know what? He's got um, data analytics guys that is that are in his ear. He's got offensive coaches that are in his ear that could easily tell him, hey, Doug, we run, the, we've thrown, 10 passes in a row and we haven't thrown, we haven't run the ball one single time. Hey, maybe we need to sprinkle in a run here to create some balance. That tells me as an offensive coordinator that you're just pulling plays off of a section of your play, your playbook for the, your game plan without any coordination. Because when you throw the ball, you either throwing the ball to set up something in the run game or you're running something to set up something in the pass game. And to make a statement like that tells me that he's just calling what he thinks is the best pass play in the moment without any regard for coordinating the plays that he's calling on a regular basis. And that's problematic. 137 left in the half. We have the football. We have a 17 to zero lead. In my mind, there's no reason whatsoever. That's just like being at the end of a game with a two-score lead, and you're running your four-minute offense to, to try to run out the clock, okay? And I get it. Sometimes, you know, these coaches have this, this mentality where what they want to do is they want to go out and they want to, you know, put the, put the pedal to the metal. Hey, we can get three more. We can get seven, you know, seven more before the half is over. But why? Why? Because the, the Washington football team's offense had done nothing. They had one first down at that point in the game. One first down. They were one for six on first down. So why? 
Why would you go out and try to get three more points when you already have a 17-point lead? You've got them in a hole. Come out and run the football. Run the clock out. Get in. Get back into the locker room. Look at your game plan. Try to understand or figure out what you're going to do in the second half. And then let's roll from there. But Carson throws the interception. You put him on a short field. The defense goes right back out on the field after coming off the field. Okay? And consequently, the Washington football team, they basically find some rhythm and they go down and they score right before half. Now, the entire momentum shifted in the football game at that moment. At that moment. And you now gave a team who had little hope of doing anything in the second half you gave them hope that, you know what, hey, we've got a shot here. And that's one thing that you cannot do. That's one you, you can't do that. You can't let teams hang around and you can't give them hope by making the type of mistakes that they made at the end of the first half of that football game. So I put that on Doug Peterson. You know, Carson's got to throw a better ball. If you're going to throw that speed out, that ball has to be outside where the receiver makes a play on it. And he's the only one that can make a play on it. If that ball's not where it needs to be, then guess what? It's an incomplete pass, okay? But Carson's got to put that ball in the right place. But at the same time, Doug has got to call a better play. He's got to call a better game. He's got to put these young players in a better position to be successful. And when you're in a crunch time like that, you got to throw, throw the ball to veteran receivers, you know? You got to throw it to guys that understand that when that ball's in the air, I got to come back to the ball, you know? They understand that when that ball's in there, if it's misthrown, I've got to figure out a way that, 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 to make that ball hit the ground. But I cannot, cannot, cannot give up an interception in that, in that situation, even if my quarterback makes a mistake. Okay? So now, let's hit up some of our questions here. Um, there's been a lot. I'm going to scroll back down to the top and work my way down. Um, I encourage you guys to give me your best questions. Um, you see the number down at the bottom, um, 361-857-9847. That is the number for you guys to call. You come with your best question. My producer, Derek Stevenson, is going to bring you on live with me so you can ask me your question live. But let's just um, let's start um, with James Russell the third. He says, Doug wasn't brought here to be a chess player or an X's and O's guy. Um, he's an organ organizational tool um, that's right up Howie's alley. Well, maybe so. Maybe so. But are we going to absolve him from how the game turned out um, just because we feel that way? Listen, at the end of the day, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, no matter how you feel about it, no matter what players are here, Doug Peterson is a Super Bowl winning coach. Um, and, and, and I don't believe that that was luck because they had to go through some pretty darn good teams and they had to go through a dynasty to actually win that Super Bowl. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not necessarily buying into that one so much um, that, you know, he's a organizational guy. He's, you know, a guy that's not an X's and O's because he knows what to do. And, and you know, he's just got to not be stubborn about it. We've been crying. How many years have we been crying, you know, for Doug to, to run the football? Um, Brandon Mariachi, he says, you know, Peterson always wins when he runs it 20 plus times. Um, and I don't understand it. Hey, listen, Brandon, I don't understand it either. Um, because the Super Bowl year, if you go back to the Super Bowl year, the football team 
started off bad the first two games. If you guys can remember, the fans were lined up over at the um, over at the Novacare Center, you know, and you know the media, myself, and everybody in that sphere was saying, "Hey, we got to run the ball. We got to run the ball." You know, and then the fans were over at the Novacare Center, you know, with big signs that said, you know, hey, roll that blunt. They come out the next game, they give the ball to LeGarrette Blunt 18 times. He's rushed for 137 yards and, and a touchdown. And now they get the ball rolling. Now we get the ball rolling in a positive direction, you know. But for the last two years, what have, what, what have, has Doug done? You know, he's come out with an intent to throw the ball, and he has not wavered from that. You know, and that's that's worrisome, you know, when a coach will look at the situation and look at the circumstances and he is, you know, refuses to make the adjustment and make make the change. And a lot of people will say, oh, the offensive line. Oh, you know, the, the running backs. If you remember the second interception that Carson threw in the, in the second half. OK, when we came back after that series, they came out and they ran the ball. Corey Clement ran the ball really well. Boston Scott ran the ball, got positive yards. We ran the ball maybe three, four times in a row, and then boom, he went right back to the pass. And he just kept throwing the ball, kept throwing the ball, kept – no matter how much pressure was on Carson, you know, they just kept throwing the ball. We didn't run screens. We didn't do anything to slow the rush down whatsoever, whatsoever. And um, to me, that's worrisome because, you know, when you have a coach whose mindset is, you know, if it's not working, the players aren't executing it. That's troublesome because now he's not assuming any responsibility for things being the way that they are. You know, you can't force a round peg in a square hole the entire game and think that it's going to work. The game just doesn't work like that. You know, you got smart coaches over on the other side that are looking at what you're doing. And you don't want to know something? Ron Rivera and his staff with Jack Del Rio on the defensive side of the ball, that is not. That is not, um, I'll repeat it again, it is not Jay Gruden's staff. Those guys know what they're doing, and they know how to do it. They know how to make adjustments. Both of those coaches have had massive success as players and coaches in the NFL, and they're going to make the requisite changes and the requisite adjustments that's necessary to take away what you're doing. Now it comes down to, in game, what kind of adjustments can you make, you know, but the problem was before halftime, you gave all the momentum away when you didn't necessarily have to do it. You didn't have to do it, you know, and, and I, you know, for the life of me, I just can't understand why that was a situation. Um, I guess um, Jay Koch, he wants to talk about the, the offensive line a little bit. He said, you know, Kelsey wasn't finished his blocks. One play, there were three offensive linemen watching Carson get sacked. And the other Carson um, watched um, Kelsey watched Carson fumble and recover. Well, hey, listen, at the end of the day, the offensive line has got to step up. You know, listen, those guys know, they know that, 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 that's, that the success of this offense, you know, falls upon the shoulders of Carson Wentz. And in order for him to do his job, that means that they've got to do his their job, okay? And I thought, you know, every everyone on the offensive line made their share their share of mistakes. And you know, amazingly, I think the only guy that you could look at that probably played a solid game was Isaac Sayamalu. You know, I saw Jason Peters run out on the screen and run right by a guy one time. He didn't even block him. The guy, you know, he made the tackle for no gain. Um, 
I, I, I seen, you know, Jason get beat on a speed rush on one of the, on the fumble, the first fumble, got beat on a speed rush, and, and, and Chase Young knocks the ball out, boom, fumble. They, I just – they took turns making mistakes, you know, and that, that, that could have been expected because of there being no preseason, no OTAs, and all of those things. Um, but the fact remains that, you know, at the end of the day, you got a couple of young guys and guys who got to understand that those young guys are watching them. And those guys are going to play to that level that they see them play. If the, the veterans on that offensive line don't raise their level of play, think about the message that is sending to the young guys. Okay, so they've got to be the leaders. They've got to be the ones to get it done. They've got to be the ones to turn to the young guys and pat them on the back and tell them, hey, you know, keep fighting, keep blocking, maintain your block, play to the whistle. That's what the game of football is all about. Then those young guys, they're just going to follow along and they're going to do whatever is necessary because they don't want to be that, that guy. When they get in the film room, they don't want to be the guy that everyone's looking at, the guy that the coach is pointing at that made a mistake, the one guy – that caused the play not to work. Well, you want to know something? The entire offensive line, every single one of those guys that played on Sunday was that guy at one point or another. And when you continue to have those breakdowns again and again and again, this is the result that you're going to have. And if they don't fix it, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So David Crane says, you know, I would think the running game helps the offensive line. Absolutely it does. I mean, think about Think about how the offensive line is postured, okay? If we're run blocking, then that means as an offensive lineman, I'm attacking. I'm in attack mode. I'm driving. I'm moving people. I'm being physical. I'm being aggressive. That changes the mindset of an offensive lineman. So then when it comes time to do that pass pro thing, which is more of a passive type of blocking, you know, that, that aggression is still in there. But when you're lining up and you got to passively block play after play after play, and you're lining up against a guy that knows that it's a that it's a pass play, or doesn't care that you know, hey, you might run a screen or you might you know run a running play, they got their ears pent back and they're just coming. You know what do you expect? What do you expect? There are three first round draft picks on that defensive line. Okay, three of them. Those two guys in the middle are no joke. You know, then you turn around, you got Kerrigan, who normally gives us all kind of problems at defensive end. You got the number two draft pick on the other side, you know, that's causing problems. And then you got Montez Sweat, another, I believe, first or second rounder. So, so they got players there. I mean, did we underestimate what they were bringing to the table? Did we think that they were just going to lay down and let us have this football game? Absolutely not, because the minute that – we allowed them to score seven points before the half. The entire momentum in the game shifted. It all changed. It all changed. Okay. Jonathan Granger says, you know, hey, Doug has proved himself. Carson hasn't. You know, there's some validity to that. There's some false, there's some falsities to that as well. Because you could say that, you know what, hey, when um, <clears throat> Frank Wright and um, I forget the other offensive guys, you know, that, that was here. Um, when those guys were here, you had a full unit. You had a team of guys. Um, you know, when I look at guys that, you know, Doug brought in, you know, he let Grow go last year. You know, he still got Press Taylors. What kind of cachet do those guys bring to the table? 
what kind of validity does do their voice have in opposition to a Frank Wright when he makes a suggestion? Will Doug listen to those guys the way that he listened to those guys in 2017? I would probably say probably not. Probably not, you know, because he's got the Super Bowl ring. Those guys came in after the fact. So when they make, and they're younger, when they make suggestions, maybe he hears them, but maybe he's not really listening to what they're saying. Um, I just, I don't understand. I just, I'm, I'm really perplexed. You know, Monday was a miserable day. Um, today is Tuesday. It's still terrible when you think about what was right there and what was lost. Now, hey, the bright side is we they got 15 games left to get it together. The problem is they're facing some of the best defensive fronts that they're going to face throughout the, the next five weeks of this season. And it's, it's, it's possible. It's highly likely that if Doug just doesn't change his mentality that – you know, this team, by the time they get to week six, they may be one and, you know, one and five, you know, and, and that's a scary thing. But, you know, you got to play the game one play at a time. Let's figure it out. But, you know, Doug has got to make the, the, the shift. He's got to make the changes. OK, so now, guys, come on, fire me some great questions. I want to get about three to four to, uh, of you guys um, on the show with me asking your questions. Give my man um, Derek something um, that's got some teeth to it, so I can bring you on and um, and and answer your question live. Lenny Log said, "Hard to lose when you're up by 17. Um, get off the gas at times. Fall back. Time is of the essence. I agree with you 100. You know, you 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 probably posed that question. You know, maybe in response to you know my my earlier comments." But I agree with you 100 percent. You know, there's something to be said. And, and think about this. There's something to be said about how Carson plays in comparison to how Doug coaches. You know, Doug likes to go for it on the 50 plus. You know, Doug wants to keep the gas on the pedal. Conversely, you have a quarterback who believes and thinks that, you know what, every player is supposed to work. No players ever did. You know, to stand in the pocket and see the rush coming and not get rid of the ball, thinking that you can make every guy miss. There's this connect between how the coach coaches and how the quarterback believes he can play the game. OK. The other team can make plays. The other team got great players. The other team has good coaches. You know, not every single play is going to succeed. Sometimes. The defense is going to make the right call and put you in a situation where you just need to throw the ball away. The great quarterbacks, when you look at, you know, when you look at Tom Brady, when you look at Drew Brees, when you look at Aaron Rodgers, those guys have this clock in their mind and they know full well, you know, 1001, 1002, 1003. When you get to 1003, sometimes even 1002, considering what you had on the offensive line, that the clock is running out, it's time for me to either throw away the ball, seek somewhere that I can escape and scramble and get some yards, or it's time for me to shut it down and throw the ball away and live to play another play. But Carson thinks that every single play is supposed to work, and you hear him talk about it all the time. I got to do better. I got to throw the ball away. I got to be smarter. All of these things, it all sounds good, but at what point do you make the change? At what point do you make the adjustment? And to me, that's problematic. 
Um, okay, let's see. Um, Bob Landis got a question. He said, do you think that we will see more of D-Jack this week? Um, to be honest with you, I wonder what happened to him last week. Um, you know, it, there was a point in time in the game where, you know, he kind of disappeared to the sideline from, for a while. And, you know, I posted on Twitter, you know, his, his D-Jack, you know, is he hurt again? Um, he, he stood over there on the sideline. He never really seemed like he was right. I don't know if he took a hit to the head or something. It was a little foggy or something was bothering him. But, you know, in a game like this, you expect for D-Jack, you know, to play a bigger role. He has to play a bigger role. He is the only veteran wide receiver that we have in the wide receiving core. So it's important for him to be able to stretch the field. You got Rager on the other side. You got Greg Ward in the middle. You got the two tight ends. You got so many weapons at your disposal, but with all of those weapons, D-Jack should be more of a threat. You know, he caught the one ball for 25 yards, the little dig across the across across the field. But for the most part, they were playing off. They weren't going to let him beat him deep. And the problem is on the other at the other end of the spectrum, you got these young guys that are out there running routes, and cornerbacks are sitting on the routes. The two interceptions, young guys running routes not coming back to the ball, not running crisp routes, Carson just a little bit off, cornerback sitting on the route when Carson believes that, you know, hey, he's off and he's back and he's going to get deep. Well, you got to be able to read that. You got to understand and know. After the first interception, the thought process has to be, you know what, hey, with my young guys, they're sitting and jumping routes. If that's the case, okay, don't you have built into the route tree don't you have built into the play and a secondary route based upon how they're playing? Because if I'm running full speed at a guy and he's squatting already, all it takes is a juke and just going by him, adjust the route and the timing of the route. I mean, all of these things play a role in how well these young players are going to play. All these things play a role in how well Carson's going to play. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the plays that Doug Peterson calls and the situations um that he puts Carson in um all right D let's get a couple of questions up here soon um Linda Carey says you know the plays to war seem to be the highest percentage of success even going back to last year he moves the chains I throw to him more often I think that um Greg Ward Jr. is a is the alternative to um your 12 personnel when they go 11 personnel that's, you know, one tight end and one back. He's the alternative to the 12 personnel, two tight ends and one back in the in the passing game. He's the slot guy. If he's that slot guy, he's the guy that's going to work the, in, the short to intermediate route. He's going to work over the field like Zach Ertz does sometimes, like Dallas Goddard does sometimes. It's just really all about the the personnel groupings that are on the field and the coaches that are being the, the plays that are being called. And, you know, as an analyst, when I sit back and I look, that's how I see Greg Ward and his success. You know, if the intent is to play more two tight end sets, then you're going to see Dallas and you're going to see Ertz on the field more. But when he's on the field, I would think that, you know, hey, this guy had a heck of a second half of the season for us last year. He did some really good things. And in doing those good things, he really hurt teams you know, in zone coverage, sitting down, finding holes in the, in, the, in the defense, moving the chains, you know, when teams try to get up on him because he runs so many short to intermediate routes, trans, 
transferring those short to intermediate routes to routes up the field and making plays up the field. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, listen, I don't know if that's a situation where um, the play calling, he needs to take advantage of that, whether it's things that were not um, necessarily um, part of the game plan. I, I, I can't say what it is, um, but they definitely look like they were out of sync, you know, after the first half was over. Um, Pat Canning says, our analytics plan too much of a factor in Doug's play calling. Um, hey, listen, it, it, at the end of the day, it could be. It could be. I think that, you know, the play calling at the end of the half certainly did because if you're going to keep your, your foot on the gas, that's probably what the analytics say. Hey, you got a minute and 37 seconds left. Let's go get some more points. Um, that's possible. Um, I, I can't say 100% for sure. I know there's a big part of what they do. I know it's a big part of, this, of the decision-making that goes on when they get to, to midfield. In the second half, Carson's second interception, I believe, you know, had a lot to do with that. Um, I believe that, you know, when we turned the ball over on downs on fourth and four, we had no momentum go at that point in time. Um, all the momentum was on Washington's side. Fourth and four, in that situation, in my opinion, you're already down. You can't afford to go for it there. You can't do that. You have to punt the ball and rely on the – on the defense to make Washington drive 80 yards, you know, and play the field position game. But you go for it on fourth and four. You don't get it. Your quarterback gets sacked. You lose even more yards. And now you're in a situation where a team that already had momentum, you gave them that much more momentum. They come on the field, march down, put some more points on the board. And now you're really, really in trouble. Um, Jeanette Aiden says, you know, Goddard looks good, 100%. 100 percent. Um, I'll tell you one thing. Um, he, he looked like he came ready to play um, Sunday, opposed to, you know, the main guy, Zach Ertz. He just didn't look like he was there all day. He made a couple of good catches, caught a touchdown. Um, I believe it was on the first drive. Um, he, he looked good in spots, but I really didn't like his, his body language. Sometimes he just looked like he wasn't there. You know, that drop on fourth down towards the end of the game is a play that you never see him make. Most of the time, if he gets his hands on the ball, it's a catch. Um, but I think this is a critical time for, for, for Dallas Goddard to continue to, um, to develop. A lot of chatter going on about, hey, you know, Zach Ertz wants to be paid. Him and Howie had a big dust up last week at the end of one, one of the practices and whatnot. You know, there's some issues there. Um, but there's also some financial issues there that, you know, kind of prevent the Eagles from really doing what they probably should have done last year or two years ago, as far as Zach Ertz is concerned. You know, when you see the, the, the other top tight ends in the league get their big time deal, what do you think Zach Ertz is thinking? He doesn't care about the salary cap and what that means. He's looking at his value and his worth and what that means to Carson as a player. And he wants to be paid as such. And you know what? And listen, I agree with him. I agree with him. But at the end of the day, what are you going to do when it comes to, you know, what the salary cap says you can and what you can't do? Does that mean that all of a sudden, you know, I talked about it in, in post game last week. I said, hey, you know, there's a high probability and, and, you know, there's a possibility that they might not be able to sign Ertz for what he wants. At the end of the day, what does that look like? You went and you brought in a Dallas Goddard 
because you want to have the ability to have two tight ends in your offense to give you that flexibility. You know, if they if they drafted one and they developed him, and now after two or three years he's catching up with the other guy, what's to say that they can't do that again? You know, maybe you know with with Zach Ertz with you know two years left on his deal, maybe you trade him for draft capital, maybe you trade him you know to save some cap space, and then at the at the end of the day you go and you try to rebuild it. I don't know. I mean, I'm just I'm speculating on what it could be. I'm talking about with the situation. Um, could wind up being at the end of the day, how he's going to have to work it out. And I think, you know, we made a massive mistake not getting him signed and not trying to extend him last year rather than waiting now, because now that the mark has been set by Kittles and Kelsey, he's going to want to be paid right there in that, you know, in that realm, if you will. Um, let me see who else we got here. Um, Bobby Eagles wants to know, do you um, do I believe that Carson will play 16 games? Hey, listen, if he keeps getting beat up the way he got beat up on Sunday, you know, he's not going to make 16 games. You know, if, if we can't get Lane Johnson back 100 um, percent and we can't get, you know, solid play at the right guard position and we don't raise the level of play across the board as an offensive line and we don't really implement any kind of running game, um, I, I just I don't see any way in the world that he's going to make it, you know, through 16 games. You know, listen, I hope he does for the sake of the team. He needs to. But at the end of the day, he cannot get beat up and beat down the way he got beat up and beat down on Sunday. Um, eight sacks? Eight sacks? That's not even counting the amount of times that he got hit. You know, he got balls off and got hit, you know, or got hit as he was, you know, trying to throw a ball. I just think that, you know, they've got to figure it out. They got to figure it out, and 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 it, because it'll be a colossal, colossal loss, you know, for him to get injured again this season. Um, go back to that last question, Derek. I like that one. Um, Ray Roman says, you know, I would have liked to see Carson roll out some, and D. Jackson has to play. Yeah, he has to play. Um, that was one of the things that kind of upset me as I watched the game on Sunday. Um, because now you have all of these new, all of these new um, coaches and a new brain trust that's behind um, Doug Peterson and how he's putting the game plan together. One would think that you know Carson throws the ball on the run pretty darn well, um, and the only play that I seen that was misdirection, anything to kind of get Carson out of the pocket to kind of get him away from the rush was a bootleg that we ran that didn't fool. Um, Montez Sweat, um, you know, listen, good football teams, good, good defensive football teams, they don't fall for that. And then the problem is, again, like I said earlier, you're running play action pass to run a bootleg and you haven't even established the running game yet. You haven't tried to pound it yet. You haven't made that guy stay home for plays that might cut back or plays that might come back to him. And then you're going to run a play action pass away when he knows that, you know, the minute that play goes away, I got to get up the field for any kind of reverse coming back or for any kind of bootleg that comes my way. Um, he just, you know, again, he just not, did not put Carson in the best situation to be successful on Sunday, in my opinion. Um, a lot of people saying, let's go Jalen Hurts. Derek Kennard um, used to play with the um, Arizona Cardinals and, um, 
good friend of mine and used to play once one won some Super Bowls with Dallas Cowboys. He said, let's go um, Jalen Hurts. And listen, man, at the end of the day, they paid Carson Wentz a lot of money to be the starter. Um, you're not going to see Jalen Hurts. And I think if Carson gets hurt, you don't see Jalen Hurts. You either see um, Nate Sudfeld step in and let's see what he does. And if he can't get it done, hey, we're going to call down to Texas or down North Carolina, wherever it is that Josh McNown is hiding out at, and he'll be the guy to come in, you know, and take over if that's the situation. Um, let's see what else we got. Um, hey, guys, listen, you guys got to call in. If you want to be on the show with me, you got to call in. Um, Derek, throw that number up there again, you know, so they can see it scrolling along the bottom. I'd love to have, you know, some of you guys come on. We want to take your questions. 361-857-89847. Um, let's see. What do we got here? Um, Chris Wild says, you know, should the Eagles sign Devontae Freeman? Running back depth was exposed on Sunday. Well, I, I would ask the question, you know, how, how would you – why would you say that? We didn't see the, the the running backs really get an opportunity to do much to determine whether the loss of Miles Sanders for Sunday's game, you know, was that big of a loss for us. Yes, a big loss because we know what he brings to the table. But I don't think it was that much of a loss that we need to go out and bring Devontae Freeman in here. You know, if that was the case, we were looking to bring in a, a running back. We could have signed him a long time ago. Obviously, the money is an issue. I just think that with, with guys like Boston Scott and with guys like um, Corey Clement, that if you give those guys a chance, if you give them a chance to get revved up, if you give the offensive line an opportunity, you know, to get into some kind of rhythm and some kind of flow, then you know what? Hey, they can they can find some success. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, if you're only going to run the ball, you know, listen, you, you're talking about running the ball four times each quarter is what they're is what they're they're um, they're averaging. That's not enough of a run to assess whether those guys can get it done or not. Because they're probably getting what two carries a piece, you know. We're not. It's not like we're riding, you know, Boston Scott. It's not like we're riding Corey Clement. You know, those guys are getting limited action. They're going to catch a few balls out of the backfield. You know, when you get your main guy back, yeah. But at the end of the day, Devontae Freeman is not not going to be the answer to you know what ails us. What's going to be the answer is the fact that Doug Peterson realizes that he needs to run the football. And yeah, you know what? You might have some some negative plays. But at the end of the day, at least you're sending the message to the defense that, hey, we're going to try to run. We're going to try to establish the run. And then we're going to base we're going to base our pass plays off of what it is that we try to run. That's called offensive coordination. Um, let's see what else we got. Um, Jeanette Aiden um, got another question here for me. She says, you know, Big Ben called all the plays as well and he looked good for an old man and a bad arm well hey listen i think that you know the, the question came up does carson have the flexibility at the line of scrimmage to change plays and, and make his own calls i think you know sometimes when you're in the two minute situations that that might be built into the offense for him to do that because everything's sped up and maybe you know doug gives him you know two plays at one time so you know and and that play when he calls it, it's called an abbreviated version, so everyone knows what it is. Um, listen, Big Ben's been running that offense a long time. Um, not that Carson, you know, shouldn't or doesn't know enough of this offense to do some of the same, um, but I think that he has the ability to make some changes and some, and some checks at the line of scrimmage. 
I, I think, you know, he needs to get away from, you know, the kill, 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 you know, check. Because for me, I have not seen a single time where he says kill, 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 where he hasn't turned around and hand the ball off. So if I see that and I realize, you know, that that's a tendency, you mean to tell me that these guys get paid to do it? These offense, these defense coordinators that get paid to stop him don't know that every time he goes kill, 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 that they're actually running the football. Um, they've got to build some things in to give him some, you know, give him the opportunity to to make changes at the line of scrimmage and be more successful. Um, there was a question on here about defense. We've been doing a lot of talking about um, the offensive side of the ball. Um, I thought the defense played one heck of a game through the first quarter, the first half of the game. I, I just believe that, you know, what wound up happening was you, the, the offense kept putting them on a short field. They kept putting them in um, precarious positions, and you can't do that with a defense. Um, sooner or later, that's why you have three different phases of the game. You got an offense, you got a defense, and you got a special, special teams group. And all of those guys, at some point, they've got to figure out, okay, how do I make my contribution to the win, to the W that we're going to have you know, today when we go into this game. Um, defensively, they played outstanding, but they kept being put in bad situations, you know, as the game wound down. And sooner or later, like I said before, the other team gets paid to make adjustments and, and create things that they need to create for them to have success too. Um, so sooner or later, they're going to make some plays. That's just the nature of the game. But, you know, I, I'm not going to 100% absolve them either you know bobby eagle says you know exactly no one is calling uh for cox head on the on the platter i'm 100 million and you put up three sacks last year and i may have heard his name twice on on sunday um you know he agrees that hurts you know at this point is not better than carson period you know hey, listen you know i hear fletcher cox talk about all the time how he wants to be mentioned you know with the greats in the game the Aaron Donalds of the game, um, J.J. Watt, when he was, you know, at the top of his game, some of the big-name guys in the middle. He certainly has the potential to do that. Um, but in order to do that, you have to be a guy that shows up every week. You got to be a guy that shows up every play. You know, when I look at Aaron Donald play, he doesn't take a play off. He plays hard every single play. He gets everything that he has every single play. Um I don't see that out of Fletcher. I think Fletcher, when he wants to turn it up, I really believe that he's unstoppable. He's unblockable. But I think sometimes what winds up happening, you know, he'll get the center and the guard laying on him. That's 600 pounds. It kind of wears him down. You know, they brought in Malik Jackson and, you know, Javon Hargrave to kind of take some of that pressure off of him. Um, so he's got to turn it up. You know, I mean, Aaron Donald doesn't complain about, you know, double teams. He doesn't worry about double teams. He's just, you know, kicking behind and taking names. And Fletcher's got to do that on an ongoing basis. We got our first um, question, live question um, by Laquan. Laquan, how you doing today, man? What's I'm on good. your mind? How you doing? All good, man. Hey, I just want to uh, talk about the medical, the, the injuries, actually. Right. You think it's, uh, it just happens, you know, because it's a tough game? Or do you think it's, it's something wrong with the medical staff? Because uh, for the last couple of years, we've been dealing with these injuries, you know, after one after another. So is it just, you know, the nature of the game or does it, you know, the medical staff have anything to do with it? 
Well, Laquan, I think it's a combination of things. I think that, um, you know, the injuries certainly are a part of the game. You know, these players today are bigger, stronger, and faster than they've ever been. Um, they play less plays because what they're trying to do is preserve them. So the backups get to play quite a bit. And, you know, to the Eagles' credit, you know, they've tried. You know, they brought in a new training staff, a new um, a new weight training staff, a new doctors. You know, they, they've, they've done everything that you can do over the last three years to try to stem the, 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 the injuries on this football team, and they just don't seem to go away. You know, so I guess the question has to be asked, what's the, you know, what, what's the end game here? How do we how do we change this up? You know, even though I'm old school, I just believe that, you know, when you when you work hard, you know, you condition your body. It's hard to play the game of football when you don't go hard, you know, on Sundays, that is when you don't go hard, you know, in practice throughout the weeks. Um, they had no OTAs. They go into training camp. They had X amount of days, you know, two weeks or three weeks, you know, where they were in shorts and shells and helmets. And then they got four practices, four practices that they got to actually hit before they went into the first regular season game. Hey, listen, it's no different from anybody else. All 31 other teams in the NFL have to deal with it. All 31 other teams are dealing with, um, you know, injuries of their own. But I don't think that any team in the NFL has had to deal with the injury situation the way the Eagles have since 2017 to the present time. Um so maybe you have to look at, you know, how you practice. You know, maybe practices need to be a little more physical. Maybe you need to figure out a way that, hey, how do we, um, you know, how do you callous the body enough? How do, you, how do you get enough hard work in, you know, where the bumps and bruises help you get to a place that when you sustain those bumps and bruises during the season, that they don't really turn into injuries? I don't know the answer to that. You know, I mean, the Eagles are a multi-billion dollar organization. And for the last three years, you know, um, Quan, they, they've been trying to figure it out themselves. And I, I assure you, if there was a way for them to figure it out, they would have figured it out. But it, some people are just saying, hey, you know, it's, it's bad luck. They got to wrap. But bad luck doesn't usually go that way for three years in a row. At some point in time, you know, it kind of levels itself off. But you see, it's just one thing after another. You lose two starting linemen. And then you got, you know, third and Lane Johnson, you know, that, that just got his ankle cleaned out. You know, listen, he's not going to be at full speed. I mean, if he come back, comes back this week, you know, he's he's one wrong step, one, one guy stepping on his ankle away from, you know, him not playing for five or six more weeks. It's just, you know, it's a tough situation. It's a tough situation. You got these young guys. They're going to have to step up and they're going to have to play. They're just going to have to make it happen. That's the way it is. They'll say it, hey, next man up. That's the mentality in the NFL. But I have no answer for you as to why this team has so many injuries year after year after year after year. I mean, it's just perplexing. And it's not like they have not tried, you know, to address it. Um, let's see. Um... Huh. I got to scroll back up. Um, Daz Jackson, uh, what's your take on our linebacker play? I thought the linebackers played solid. They weren't spectacular, but they played pretty solid. I think, you know, they, they did a great job in the first half. 
Um, coming back side of the backfield, you've seen a couple of times he tried to sneak, you know, a third down back out of the backfield. Um, Washington really couldn't muster anything in the run game to the second half. And even at that, when you look at what they did statistically, it wasn't that bad. Uh, but you're not talking about a high-powered offense. You're talking about a guy in Dwayne Haskins who is really still trying to figure out the pro game, um, a team that's still building, um, some young running backs that are trying to figure out where they fit, you know, in the rotation, things of that nature. Um, only time will tell what happens with the linebackers. But I've seen guys flying around, you know, no big plays, but they were there making plays at times, you know, when the plays were there um, to be made. And, you know, Tyron – um, Taiwan McKeachin, you know, says, you know, what's the issues with the linebackers? I don't see them playing downhill. Well, a lot of that is, you know, we got such such dominance up front, you know, from the big guys. A lot of times it's trying to figure out where you fit. Um, when these guys penetrate in the backfield and they cause the running back to alter his path, a lot of times you could be a B-gap player but because of the penetration and it cuts off one side of the field, that player's got to cut back the other way or it's got to bounce wider. You know, that's the benefit of having linebackers that can actually, you know, read and run and guys with speed so that they can make that adjustment and fly to the ball and get there. But, um, you know, it, it, the jury's still out. After one game, you know, how do what do we say? What do we say about um, the linebackers? Um, Lawrence Melton wants to know, should Schwartz have – you know, heated Haskins up more with the blitz in the second half. Um, the only They only got one legit receiver. Hey, listen, I agree. But that's not who Jim Schwartz is. You know, I've been calling for that. A lot of people have been calling for that for many, many years now, for him to ratchet up the heat. And I thought that, you know, with Hargrave coming in, with, um, with uh, Malik Jackson coming back 100%, that we'd be able to, you know, generate the – the rush with the four downs, and listen, we still we had three sacks, but still, um, that they'd be able to generate the type of rush where we could, you know, get creative and do some different things. Um, I, I don't know. I think you know Jim Schwartz seems to me like the the type of defense coordinator really only likes to blitz when he has to. Um, I just think you know that when you got a young quarterback, the worst thing that you can ever do is allow him to get comfortable, allow him to feel confident in his level of play because what's going to happen he's just going to get more and more confident listen they didn't call any big plays down the field to really test our secondary they were taking what the eagles were giving them the little short the little short routes you know the little dig routes in behind the zone um speed outs you know the guys on the outside they took it they they took what the defense gave them you know and they just made first downs and they moved the ball down the field, not in long drives, but on a short field. You know, a young quarterback can be successful like that if you don't heat him up, if you don't make him think about the pressure that you're bringing or where you're bringing it from, you know, to make him, you know, think that, hey, if my if my progression is right to left and you bring somebody from the left side, I don't see him. By the time I see him, he's on me. We just didn't create that kind of um, th that kind of pressure on him. And to me, that's a mistake. You know, because anytime a young quarterback lines up on the field, I want to force him to think. I want to force him to feel the pressure. I want him to make decisions under duress. And you just, we just didn't see a whole lot of that on Sunday. So um, we'll see over time whether that changes or not. Um, Bobby says, you know, right there, put that back up again, Derek. He said, rest in peace, Jim Johnson. Um, these days are gone, but never forgotten, 100%. I played for a coaching buddy, Ryan. It was the same way. 
He was going to bring pressure. Pressure is the great equalizer, in my opinion. Um, and, and I don't care whether you're a veteran quarterback or a young quarterback, even more so when you're a young quarterback. You've got to bring pressure. You can't let those young guys or those older guys sit back there um, and survey the field and get and get comfortable with what's going on. So, hey, listen, we'll see where it goes as time goes on. Um, Rafiq Jordan says, you know, is Slay worth the pay? I would say so. I, I think that, you know, listen, you didn't see Terry McLaurin tear it up the way he did last year. I mean, he just – he gave Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby all they wanted last year in both games. Um, and it seemed like Slay traveled with him quite a bit on Sunday. It seems like he's going to be that guy – to move with each team's best wide receiver um, based upon the first week, I would say absolutely he's worth it. I think long-term it gives Jim Johnson some 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 flexibility in what he's doing and some change-up in some of the things, you know, that he's doing to be a little more flexible how he calls defenses. Um, let's see. So... Um, I can't pronounce this young, whoever this is, last name, but Breacher says, you know, how come Howie didn't look for starting caliber old lineman after he lost two for the season and another um, right at the beginning of the season? Listen, man, if there's if, if there's starting level offensive linemen that are out there worth their salt, don't you think they're on somebody's roster? You know, no one's looking to give away quality offensive linemen. You're going to have to give up draft capital to be able to, be able to go and make – a trade to be able to bring in somebody, you know, with that kind of cachet, somebody with that kind of experience. Everybody's on a roster. And if they're not on the roster, they're not on the roster for a reason. They're not on somebody's team. They're not on someone's practice squad for a reason. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, you got to bring that guy in. You got to teach that guy your system. He's got to get acclimated, you know, and become cohesive with the rest of the offensive linemen. How does all of those things work out? How do you speed up that process? Um, I think more has to be said about not making those improvements or creating that depth in the offseason. You know, Eagles News now says, you know, hey, why didn't Matt Pryor, why did Matt Pryor sit on the bench after Doug hyped him up the past couple of weeks? Great question. Great question. Um, from what I understand, you know, Guy's got good feet, you know, when the pads on on, he really looks good. But when he's going one-on-one -on -one and there's physicality in practice, he just doesn't stand up to the pressure. I hear, you know, young guys like Josh Wetz never loses against him. You know, he's just getting beat down across the board. Again, this goes to drafting because Matt Pryor is the guy that they drafted. How does a guy like, you know, Herbig start over Matt Pryor, a guy that's been here, a guy in Her Herbig last year that couldn't even get on the active roster. How does that happen? You know, so then it goes back to drafting. We drafted Matt Pryor. Matt Pryor is supposed to be, you know, from TCU. He's supposed to be a guy that has versatility. They could play the guard position or the tackle position. You go into week one and you got major injuries and you start two rookies. That speaks volumes about my, Matt Pryor unless Matt Pryor is hurt. And from my recollection and from my knowledge, Matt Pryor isn't hurt. From what I understand, from what I'm hearing, they don't feel they're not comfortable and they're not confident in Matt Pryor. And that's problematic because when you look at the depth chart, they don't have a whole lot. They don't have a – I believe that they signed an offensive lineman today. I don't know whether he came off the um, 
off the practice squad or off of someone else's practice squad. But when you start bringing in other players and you haven't even given this guy a chance to show you what he can do, that's problematic. That is really problematic for the Eagles in this offensive line. When you lose two starters the way they lost two starters and you have to shuffle the deck and you got players moving all over the place, it could be a problem the entire the entire season. It could be a problem the entire season. Um, let's see. What else we got here? I guess you guys don't want to talk to me live today. Ain't nobody calling in. So I'll just keep reading. Um, um, Cheo Scott says, you know, can you can I get in there and change the culture? Bring it back. Hey, come on, man. I, what am I going to do? <laughs> it, it's a good question, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, Doug Peterson has his his culture. Jim Schwartz has his culture. This team is going to be, you know, what Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz makes. It. Um, I, I'm, I'm a guy on the outside that's got some experience, having played 13 years and been around the game, you know, for an extremely long time that looks at the game from a different perspective. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, you know, some of the things that I have to say, they probably don't like, you know, but my job is to evaluate the game, to analyze the game and give it to you guys. You know, the viewers give you guys what I see. Um, and, and I just see areas where, you know, they could they could do better. They could be better. They could coach better. Um, there's a lot of things that that, that that could change to help this football team be better in a myriad of different ways. But, you know, hey, listen, they're going to do it. They're Super Bowl champions. Those coaches are Super Bowl champions, and they're going to do 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 things the way that they feel that they should do them, so the team can be successful. I'm just going to analyze and give you guys, you know, my take um, as I see it. Um, let's see, um, Lynette DeShields. She wants to know what do you think will happen between now and trade deadlines? Will they package Earth or Alshon? In your opinion, um, that's not my doorbell, by the way. That's actually my clock. This ringing in the background. Um, I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I believe I've heard that Alshon is, you know, a couple of weeks away from maybe being active, that he looks good. Would he be a help? Absolutely. You got a lot of young guys out there. You probably need, you know, some veteran leadership on the team. Um, I don't think that they can move Alshon. I believe that, you know, the injuries pre pre prevented them from doing it. And I think the way that, you know, how he restructured his contract last year, um, that there is no way that they're going to be able to, you know, trade that contract. No one's picking up that um, that that contract. Um, as far as Ertz is concerned, you listen, I, I think I think that Doug loves him. I think Carson loves him. I think that Howie loves him. I think you know, the, the city of Philadelphia loves him. You know, it, it, listen, he's a good player. It, it will basically come down to how they can work out the dollars and cents, you know. You know, can they get a deal done that Zach can be happy with and a deal that makes sense and helps the team from a financial standpoint? At the end of the day, that's really, you know, what it comes down to. Last question before we get out of here today. Um, Cheo Scott, he says, you know, do you believe in the bench players? Well, Cheo, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't, doesn't really matter whether I believe in them or not. Um, you know, the coaching staff has got to believe in, believe in them enough to put them out there to fill in where they need to fill in. I've always said that you're only as strong as your weakest link and your weakest link is the next man up. Um, those guys have got to step in. They can't be um, Brandon Brooks. Herbert can't be Brandon Brooks. Um, Jack Driscoll is not going to be Lane Johnson, but those guys have got to figure out a way to get the job done um, no matter what the circumstances are. 
Josh Swift has got to figure out a way to raise his level of play. Those those linebackers, you know, they're in position, you know, to be starters. They've got to figure out a way to raise their level. This the the first and second year guys who are rookies, you know, a year or two years ago, they got to figure out a way to raise their level. Everyone has to do it. You know, it's going to take a team effort, but it's also going to take this coaching staff realizing that they've got to put these players in the best possible position that they can put them in for these players to be successful. They got to run the football. They got to continue to do what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. And from time to time, hey, you're going to have to come with pressure. You know, you, the, the NFL, the way the, the way that the game is set up, is set up for offenses to dominate. So if you're going to sit back and play bend but don't break style defense, you better darn well be, you know, lights out in the red zone because teams are going to get yards and they're going to move yards. The, the Eagles had a great game defensively, other than the fact that, you know, you'll look at it and say, well, hey, they scored 27 points on us. You know, a lot of that had to do with field position. A lot of that had to do, you know, with our ineptness on the defensive side of the ball, on the offensive side of the ball, excuse me, in the second half. Not an excuse because when you're on the defense, it's your job to keep them out of the end zone. They got to figure out a way to do it. Well, that being said, we're going to close with a little bit of talk about the about the, um, the the Rams coming in here. I don't know if you guys saw them, you know, just take apart the Dallas Cowboys Sunday night, but, man, they look good on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they're going to give this offensive line and Carson Wentz fits. Um, so they better buckle it up and be ready to go. And I tell you, on the defensive side of the ball, it's going to be one of the biggest tests in this early in the season. Because you look at the Rams, they are going to come in here and they're going to try to establish the running game. And they're going to play action you with motion every which way to Sunday. The, the, the one position that I, that I want you guys to pay attention to, I want you to watch Brandon Graham. Because Brandon Graham plays the defensive end, in my opinion, in a, um, in a non-traditional way, in an undisciplined way. And I'm not saying that it's his fault. I think that, you know, I've always said that what you see on the field is something that's either coached or something that's allowed. You see Brandon Graham lose contained quite a bit. And the Los Angeles Rams, they like play action pass. That's why they're running the ball more than they ever have. And they love bootlegs and rollouts, things where they get um, golf on the move, Jared Goff on the move and get him outside of the pocket. So look for, you know, dive action to the defensive right and Jared Goff bootlegging out to the right to Brandon Graham's side. If we don't play that, it's going to be a long day because that guy that comes across in the flat, nine times out of ten, that guy is going to be on. So the defensive end on that side, he's got to be on his game. When Jared Goff bootlegs out, Brandon Graham's got to be up the field, and he's got to put pressure on him to, to make a great throw. If they don't, it's going to be a long day because they're going to pound the rock. It's old school style. They're going to pound the rock, and they're going to go play action pass with the short passing game, you know, to Woods and Cooper Cup, you know, and all the weapons that they have. And, you know, the, the Eagles got their hands full. Um, they, they got a tough one to try to pull themselves to even here and try to figure out, you know, how, how to how to salvage their season, because at two and at, at zero and two, that's not the start that you want when you think about what's coming down the pipe. Well, that'll do it. That is the Seth Joyner show for week one in the NFL. Week one of our Philadelphia Eagles. Like I said, they go down 27 to 17 to the Washington football team. Join me here next week. Um, we have another good show for you. I have 
a guest that you'll be happy to hear from. He'll give you his thoughts on the game and his thoughts on, you know, what the what the prognostication is for the Philadelphia Eagles moving forward. And um, I want to thank my producer, Doug, um, Derek Stevenson and Tom Schrader. Um, as we sign off, I will say to you guys once again, hey, take care of each other, be good to each other, and love each other. I'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Peace.